Hello and welcome to another edition of the Pirates YouTube show. Andrew, it's gone almost the whole season and we still don't have a name for this thing. I'm <laughs> mad at us. We need to, it's basically where Andrew and I get on uh, our computers and talk about stuff that we would otherwise talk about. But anyway, it's great to have you along on this Friday. Um, we're recording on a Thursday on the off day and we are, as always, brought to you by the North Shore Tavern. My favorite place. If you love baseball, you'll also love the North Shore Tavern. The interior, it's wall-to-wall pirates. They're appetizers, food, entrees, cocktails, and of course, steak and seafood on a sizzling lava stone open every day. The North Shore Tavern across from PNC Park is Pittsburgh's home for steak on a stone. So, Andrew, we were both at PNC Park yesterday trying to figure out what the heck to do. It was one of those you know, news vomit days or whatever you want to say. And there's a lot to get into. Where do you want to start? I feel like we should probably start with Kutch, but where do you want to start? Yeah, there's so many places even to just start with Kutch. But I mean, the, the first place my mind goes to is, um, I, I guess, how kind of surprising this was for me, uh, just given the way that, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, you know, when he came out of the game a couple of days ago, it was okay. You know, he pulled up running into second with a double and it was, all right, we talked to him post game. Um, and he was like, I'm fine. And, you know, you take a guy at face value for the most part when they say that. And obviously, you know, you and I and Andrew McCutcheon, we're not medical experts. But when a guy says he's OK, I tend to take him at face value. Um, sure. And unfortunately for his sake, it was not the case. So that's, I guess, where it was just most surprising to me is that um, one, that he actually was injured more than just like pulling a cramp or pulling your Achilles or something like that. Um, but it was actually pretty darn serious, obviously, uh, with the partial tear there something that's going to have him in the walking boot for six months. Uh, For me, the word that comes to mind is just surprise. How about you? How do you react to to all this? Yeah, surprise. Um, Disappointment. Not that I pretend to be some sort of Andrew McCutcheon whisperer or or be the guy's best friend or anything like that. But, you know, I I feel like I and we have gotten a pretty good sense of what he's about, and he was not happy with it. And I don't blame him for being not happy with it. And you're sit there stuck on 299 home runs. He's 36 going on 37. This is obviously something that, you know, in a vacuum is a very small thing, but also you look at this, you look at the elbow, you look at how the production has tailed off over the past two months. How do you not think about what this means for my career, for my future with the pirates? Like, you know, you can go down kind of a dangerous road. So I, I immediately went there, honestly, I, I, you know, okay. It's a surprise. I've seen a lot of professional athletes, specifically baseball players, say, oh, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, you know, you get the news and, and they're done. So um, I'll go to the the scene that I saw. We're waiting on Todd Tomzik in the interview room at PNC Park. And, you know, I had sort of a feeling Kutch is going to go on the IL or whatever. But, you know, I leave the media room, look out in the hallway, and I see Andrew McCutcheon in a walking booth talking to Christian Yelich. Obviously, you know, Kutch played for the Brewers and knows Yelich. I just didn't expect to see that. And I didn't expect to hear in a walking boot for six weeks, season done, that sort of thing. So I've got some thoughts on how the Pirates and McCutcheon can um, maneuver out of this. But yes, I would say in the immediate um, aftermath of it or whatever, I was just, I was pretty shocked. Yeah. You're giving us a little preview there about what you wrote about. I am. Thursday's piece. (laughs) I am. Yeah. So I, I, Anybody watching this has probably already read the the column, or hopefully has already read. I shouldn't. That sounds egotistical. Um, has hopefully already read the column where I um, endorse Andrew McCutcheon playing first base, and I think it makes sense. I genuinely do. Um, you, we've seen guys do this. I mean, Pittsburgh Willie Stargell did it. I mean, I'm not 
advocating for McCutcheon to play six more years there. I think Starville technically played eight, but, you know, the final two were like no games of consequence, um, you know, but winning the 79 MVP, winning the World Series, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that would be great. Not the expectation. I just think that, like, I understand if you're Kutch, you want to play, you want to keep playing. You don't want to be stuck on 299. I think you don't want to go out like this. You want to go out on your own terms. He wants to play. So the Pirates, what do you do? Do you, you know, do you say you're going to sign up and, and basically be our DH and we're going to pay you whatever? Like, that doesn't totally work. Um, I would, you know, the trade-off to McCutcheon and say, okay, you've got guaranteed work. You've got another year back here. This is what we're going to do. We'll pay you whatever money. This is going to be the last one. We're going to come to an agreement. This is it. Uh, and you're going to play some first base. Here's the first baseman's glove. Go get comfortable with, and I wrote in there, like, you know, if it's Don Kelly, if it's Neil Walker, I don't care. Chase Rowe, find anybody you want to. Uh, learn a little bit of first base. And I don't need you to throw. I don't need you to do much of anything. I just need you go, to go there on sort of a backup rotational basis and catch the ball. It makes my lineup work a lot better if I'm Derek Shelton or Ben Sherrington. So, I don't know, Andrew, I, you tend to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me on things. I will not be offended if you disagree with me. Do you think that's insane? Uh, well, I don't think it's insane, but I will disagree with you in the sense that I worry yes. about I worry about putting him there at first base just because uh, you bring up the, the arm issues of not throwing yes. the ball. I wonder if it's almost to a point, and this is speculative on my part, of course, but I almost wonder if it's to a point that, like, he wasn't playing in the outfield because of how serious the arm injuries that he was dealing with this year with the right elbow. I wonder if it's to a point that he almost could even, you know, is it not up to par that you could play first base? Um, because, you know, that's still a position where you got to be involved, right? You still have to be, so got to relay home, still have to throw across the diamond to throw, start up double plays. You know, he's a professional athlete. I'm sure Andrew McCutcheon could do that if he wanted to. But for however many games, like, and I guess that's another dovetail conversation would be, you know, how many games are we talking to Andrew McCutcheon to play first base? Because I'm sure there would still be a lot of DH sprinkled in there. Um, yeah. I would I would have no problem if he was your everyday DH or in the lineup four or five times a week. But I think your point's a valid one of how does that change the lineup construction? Because I think one of the beautiful things right now of the way the lineup is constructed, and I guess that kind of goes to the whole roster with what they're doing with bullpen games and starters and openers, is that like there's so many options, so many ways they can uh, to use Derek Shelton words to manipulate matchups. Like it's actually there is validity to it. Um, yeah. And, and if Andrew McCutcheon is pigeonholed as your everyday DH, that's a concern. I just have another concern of. I don't know if that arm or the body in general is in a position that he could be playing a lot of first base. That's just a concern of mine, I think. No, I think that's completely valid. I think that's completely valid. And, and you know what? If he can't throw at all, then, yeah, there's a problem there. I think you have to have a certain level of throwing. But, you know, with the Achilles, I worry about the movement and, and covering a lot of ground. I think it's a different type of throwing. Um, I would argue that it is limited throwing. You need yes. to be accurate, but you don't need to have a cannon. Um, can he do enough to be accurate fielding a ground ball and throwing, you know, 90 feet, give or take, to home plate to, you know, get an out, get an important out late in the game? I mean, you're probably going to get defensive switched anyway, uh, and that's fine. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not arguing, and I wrote this in the piece, like this is not an argument for the Pirates to say, oh, we don't have to spend money because we can get Andrew McCutcheon back for whatever, and you know we're not going to go address first base. No, I mean, absolutely address first base with like a primary hitter in the lineup. What I'm talking about is like maybe he gives that guy a day off 
once a week, twice a week. That guy can go DH or something like that. You're going to have O'Neill Cruz coming back from injury. You might want to give him a little bit of break. You might want to, I, I don't know what's going to work out with Henry Davis and right field and, and where he goes or Andy Rodriguez or Brian Reynolds. Like you just want that spot to not be allocated to one guy who that's all he can do. So like I'd even be okay, again, if the arm is okay, run cutch to the outfield once a week, uh, DH him once a week, play him at first base once a week. And maybe that's his, maybe that that's his role right there. He plays three games a week. And at that point, I think if you're the Pirates, that makes sense. As long as the number is not too crazy, if you say, you know, look, we'll give you $3 million to, to play a game at first base a week, hopefully a game in the outfield, DH once a week, you know, talk to these kids about what it takes to win here, creating a culture, that sort of thing. Uh, to me, there's value in that. If I'm Ben Charrington, if I'm Bob Nutting or whomever, you know, I don't think it looks good if this is it. I just, I don't, I don't think it can be it. I don't think fans would respond well if Kutch didn't come back, but if I'm the Pirates, I certainly, you know, it's not a blank check. It's not just, oh, you get the DH position to do, take it and do whatever you want. Like I need certain things to make my lineup work a certain way. So yeah, there's a lot of moving parts with that. I think it's a very interesting topic. I think there's also a ripple effect, you know, for this off season, just like there was for this year, like what happens to Connor Joe, what happens to Miguel Andujar? Do they have, actual roles on the team if McCutcheon comes back it's hard to see that at some point you do have to turn playing time over to younger players which they've certainly done I'm glad they've done it they need to do more of it so yeah there's just a lot of a lot of layers to it yeah there's a lot to it and you mentioned the, you know the Connor Joe element it's like you know there's the, the thought process of okay first base how do you approach the, this offseason because look what they did last year of going okay yeah. we're going to get Carlos Santana we're going to get G-Man Choi um, I generally, I don't know how they're going to approach that. You know, I, I'm asking the same well, questions as you. That's where my mind goes. And here's the fascinating part to me, Andrew. If you would take, you know, let, let's use a Mike Tomlinism, nameless gray faces, right? Like if you, right. if you remove the names from Connor Joe or Andrew McCutcheon, they're sort of the same player. One is cheaper and what, four or five years younger and a heck of a lot more durable. But he's not Andrew McCutcheon. So you don't, but you don't know that. You'd probably only keep Connor Joe, I would imagine, in that scenario. I can't think of Connor Joe's contract status off the top of my head. He's either team control for one more year or this is his first year through arbitration, I believe. Um, I know Ethan's going to tweet me or comment or something, and that's great. But um, his number is going to be fairly low. So you'd probably keep Connor Joe and tell Kutch to go kick rocks, but you're just not going to do that. You can't, at least in my opinion, you can't, you can't do that. That will not go over terribly well at all. You need to figure out, as I wrote, an exit strategy with this. Yeah. And I, I, you mentioned the exit strategy. I mean, my mind goes to this too. And this is, again, me always uh, looking probably too many steps ahead. But like, is this it for Kutch in 24? Like, I know you were there chatting with him. Like, is that, that right? So that's very much reality too. So I think there's some point the responsibility of, well, this is the last go around. If it is, um, you know, you got to honor that and find a way to make this work because um, otherwise if it ends up being him finishing out somewhere else, which he's made very clear, that's not something he's interested in doing. Then you fumbled the bag again, which that's not really, that can't be an option. Right. So yeah, it's a tricky situation. That's what I mean. you, you, you set it all up for next year. This has to be it. This hat, like if I'm, if I'm Bob Nutting, if I'm Ben Sherrington, I'm saying, Andrew, this is our, you see our future. This is where we're going. This is what we need to do. We're going to have more guys coming up here that we need to find spots for. 
Like, we love you, man. We'll get you rolling in the organization. We'll have you coach. You want to broadcast games. You want to do – you literally name your, your position on the other side of this thing if you want to stay involved. Like, we're good with it. But the active roster, we need to turn over to younger guys. So, yes, I, I agree with that. Anyway, I don't want to be labor kutch. Um, I think there's other stuff to talk about. Um, I know a little bit about what your off-day piece is. Um, I know a little bit about what my Sunday piece is. And I think there's some interesting things in there that I want to I discuss with you. Um, without knowing what I came up with, we're going to have, I think, 19 games left after the Braves series is what I wrote. I think there's a lot to learn with this team. What do you still want to know? Um, there's a lot. Of I'm totally to putting you on the spot, and I love it. Come up with something. No, it's, it's great. No, because <laughs> I remember uh, you were asking me about this yesterday. We were just kind of like spitballing ideas, and my mind went to, I want to learn, like, what exactly do you have um, in a couple of the different rotational members, right? So I still go to Luis Ortiz and Bailey Falter are these guys, because right now they've both been used with openers and as starters. So those are guys I want to learn. Are these, front, these not frontline starters, but are these guys you can pencil in as your three, four, five starter, or are they bulk long men in a rotation next year? That's a huge question mark for me. But yeah. another one another one that I go to, too, is um, you look at the younger guys. Like, I want to see Henry Davis come back and see, you know, th- does he get any chance at catcher? I'm, I'd be shocked if that happens. I'm sure when he comes back, he'll be back in right field. But I'd like to see him come back and see if he can finish the year strong. Uh, same goes for Andy Rodriguez at the plate. Yeah. These are two guys that have shown flashes, but the consistency altogether hasn't been there. Um, so that's one place where my mind goes is I would like to see um, what do you get out of these two guys? Can they show contributions at the plate? So I guess, yeah, both the both the guys with catching backgrounds and the two starters. But stealing my story. <laughs> Come up with something else. Let's go. I, I did it. I, I stole Jason's story. <laughs> <laughs> it's already filed. You can't steal it. Um, no, I, I get you, though. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. What else? Um, where else am I going to go? Um <laughs> Good question. Uh, I'd like to see more Jared Triolo. Um, that's something that I'm mm. in. Off the board. Uh, yeah. It goes off the board with the selection. Yeah, I, that one just came out, out of the – I pulled that out of the holster, I guess you would okay. say. Yeah. So where does Triolo play? <laughs> I don't that's know. That's a man. fascinating question, isn't it? <laughs> Good thing he brought four or five gloves, right? Dude, I don't know what you do with Triolo. I agree with you that I need. he needs to play. He needs yeah. to see how it – his swing, I don't want to call changes, maybe refinement. Um, he talked more about pitch selection being a, a driver behind what he's doing. But, you know, he needs to have more power. He can't be a singles guy. The OPS can't start with a six. So what position do you play while you're doing that? I just – it's hard, man. It's hard to see. Um, I guess second base, if that's where they prefer him up the middle. Um, I don't totally understand what's happening – um, with like Alika Williams and Vinny Capra. I don't know what we're doing here. Um, you know, Capra's 27, Alika Williams. I, I looked this up this morning, Andrew. 069 off of lefties. I, that Atrocious. Like a batting average in the low twos. You can you can switch Pagaro to shortstop and play Triolo at second or flip-flop the two of them. That's fine. I think you've got to get another look at Nick Gonzalez. That's something else that... I put in there and like questions and unfinished business or whatever. Like at some point he's got to come up. He was sent down and he's been really good for the Indians in that time. Um, 
I just I don't understand why we're allocating reps to Alika Williams and Vinny Capper. I think that'll that'll probably change in time. I'm with you on Triolo. I just don't know where he plays. I really don't. I mean, Alfonso Rivas has been fine defensively at first base. The hitting has kind of come and gone. I think I'm going to play Connor Joe most days somewhere. He's been fairly productive. Uh, when Henry Davis gets back in right field, okay, that's something. I think it's also very important to take a look at Miguel Andujar and what he does. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's anything there. Maybe there is. There's been power at times, obviously, but you know, and, and you would want somebody like that if you're hugely productive with that sort of position profile. I just don't know. And I guess another guy that I didn't bring in there is Jiwon Bay. Um, really good game yesterday. I think adds a lot. But I don't know where he plays. I don't know what he does. And, you know, if he's in your lineup, it's probably in the outfield. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe in the infield. I think I'd prefer him in the outfield. But then what does that mean for Reynolds and Sawinski? I don't know. I've talked myself into a circle. Yeah, there's a I, – I think that's a key point to hit on is, like, talking yourself into a circle. For me, it's like there's some of these guys, it's a question of are they everyday starters or are they utility guys? And, like, that's a big question, I guess, for – you mentioned a G1 Bay for me, a Jared Triola. Like, um, just to, to kind of go back to the point about Alika Williams, it's like, to me, I've, I've seen enough from Alika. I really like what he does defensively. The bat has developed a lot, but, like, it's still probably not quite up to snuff for everyday major league competition, and he's getting run out there a lot. Right. Um, I would like to see Triolo get time there at short, too. I mean, I have no problem with that. He's played it in the minor leagues. He's been above average there, too. He's just a good fielder in general, so I think he's capable of playing there. Um, and Pagaro, to uh, you know, bring up him, he's been very good defensively at short, too, like more so than I expected. I mean, he's been – I think it's just been the one error. I think that's off the top of my head that he's made all season in the big leagues after yes, that was two. two now. So, two. right. So yeah. compare that to last year in minors when he had 31 total. Yeah. Um, I know it's obviously a much smaller sample size, but, like, he's really cleaned things up defensively. I got yes. no problem with him at short. At the very least, at second. Like, I think I've seen enough out of Alika Williams that I can put Triolo there and would like to see him get a chance there. But um, but the question is, how do they use him? Uh, not just the rest of the year, but moving forward into 24. Is that in a Ben Zobris role for what he did for the Cubs, where it's like you're this everyday utility guy, but you're just moving around everywhere? I could see Triolo doing really well in that role. I could also see Bay doing some kind of hybrid yeah. role like that. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of options there. So, I, yeah, lots to keep track of. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really wrap my mind around that as much as I should have. With do you, you could probably make one of those guys Ben Zobrist, right? And I feel like this is also a, a hallmark of Derek Shelton's managerial tenure. It's like everything relates back to Ben Zobrist. Ben Zobrist gets mentioned like once a week in our media scrums with him, I feel like, which is fine. I like Ben Zobrist as a player. It's not a criticism. Like, great, fine. I, I think it's fun. And I think. With what the Pirates do, that's probably applicable. But it, it is funny how much it leads back to Ben Zobrist. And you could pick one. I think I'd go with Triolo. Would he Would he be your preferred util, like Swiss Army Knife guy over Bay? Yeah. I think I'd here. rather see Bay pick a position and learn it. Yeah. And Bay, maybe it's center field. And maybe yeah. that's the spot. I mean, and, you know, that's a whole other conversation of how do you use Jack Swinsky? Is he not an everyday guy because of the struggles against lefties? Like, Bay has shown he can hit lefties decent. Maybe yeah. that's some semblance of a platoon out there. Maybe not a true traditional one, but like maybe Bay in the outfield. Because I, I mean, I haven't been truly impressed by what he's done at second base. He's been fine, but like they've had a lot of guys they've put at second that have been fine. And I think it's uh, the bigger question is how do you construct that roster and that middle infield once Cruz is back in the fold in 24? But 
Um, that's a very different can of worms to open, which I'm sure we'll either we'll either open on this one or again in a week whenever we get more news on O'Neill Cruz. But yeah, that's an entirely different convo. Changing by the week, my friend. <laughs> Changing by the week. I hope he continues. I really want to see him. I, you know, if they would pack it in and just say the heck with it, I completely understand. I wouldn't blame them at all. Um, at the same time, like I do get, and I'm guessing this is probably O'Neill saying like, I want to play. I want to play. I want to be out there. This is my job. I respect that. So I'm glad to hear what Todd said yesterday. Todd Tom's like the Pirates director of sports medicine about they're checking out like different orthotics, different ways of running, basically ways for O'Neill to do this safely. Um, that was that was comforting for me because, I mean, if you're going to do this, then you clearly need to find a way to do it in a safe way. And we might get a couple of games out of O'Neill Cruz to, to watch and analyze. So that's never a bad thing. Yeah, and maybe it's just as a DH. Maybe that's just getting him in the box for a couple of games. Maybe it's not playing shortstop, but, like, that still has value, right? Like, I, I think any of these games have value at the tail end of it and sure. segueing that into whatever it looks like in October or November baseball for him outside of MLB competition. Like, that's valuable, too. So, yeah. I mean, there's – we saw him running yesterday. That's the second time, I believe, this week. So, yep. um, there's still a few hurdles for him, some check box, uh, boxes to check off there, but certainly something to, to keep your eyes on. All right, so let's talk a little pitching here. We've done a lot of position player stuff early on outside of maybe mentioning the the needing to figure out what you have with Ortiz and Falter and whatever. I think this is an underplayed storyline this season, Andrew, where we've talked a lot about the pitching that they don't have. You know, they traded Rich Hill. Vince Velasquez has been hurt. Same for JT Brubaker and Mike Burroughs. All this rotation depth has gone away. Um, you've had bullpen guys. You look at their opening day bullpen. Chase DeYoung, Will Crow, Dwayne Underwood Jr., Rob Zestrisny, all gone, you know, because of basically poor, poor performance injury or both. Um, they've turned it over a lot. But I would also argue, at least right now, they've gained a lot of pitching too. I, I think maybe we don't realize it as much, but you mentioned Bailey Falter has been very good. Um, I like the role that he's played. I, I'm still curious on Andre Jackson. I like the Thomas Hatch claim. Um, again, not presenting these guys as like number two or number three starters. You know, Thomas Hatch is probably what a long man out of the bullpen, but like, I'm okay yeah. with that. And if you're going to get innovative for a game, if you have him and Andre Jackson and you're going to open it and you're going to try to manipulate matchups with certain guys, like I'm good with it. Oviedo. I mean, it's been inconsistent, but when it's good, it's been really, really good. I, I certainly have belief in Mitch Keller as part of the rotation. Not that he was an ad. I mean, he was there, but, um, I just feel like they've gained – Carmen Majinski is another one. I feel like there have been more positive pitching performances that maybe we've talked about. Do you disagree with that? What do you think? Maybe – and who are some names that I could be missing? No, I completely agree, and it's uh, – you know, not to be the guy who always agrees with you, but, like, in this instance, it's totally true. You look at the last nine games, they've won seven of their last nine. Over that stretch, the bullpen has produced a 2.18 ERA. That's really good. But that's not just over, like, uh, you know, a dozen innings or something like that. That's 45 and a third innings over the last nine games. Which That's true through a lot. Yeah. So you're using up these guys a lot, which you, to your point, I mean, yeah, maybe that's a little unsustainable, but like in the short term, in a vacuum, it's been great recently. And it's because guys like that have been good um, that you've mentioned. And there's other names too, right? You can point to a guy who's been kind of a reclamation project as he's come back up, Cody Bolton. Right. We look back on that. We look back to that game in May in San Francisco, the blow up outing where it was whatever it was, eight earned runs or nine earned runs in like a third of an inning. And people wrote off Cody Bolton as, OK, this guy doesn't have it. 
Well, since then, he's whenever he's come up, he's been very good, and that's been the case again recently. He plays a role in the win on Wednesday. He's a name that comes to mind too. Um, you know, and then uh, Hunter Stratton, right? I mean, he's a guy that they just called up a couple of days ago at 26 years old. You looked at and said, well, maybe this guy isn't really much of a prospect. He's been in Indianapolis the last two and a half years, but he got here um, and showed us some things when he made his debut. Um, I'm curious what you have in Hunter Stratton, but that's all to say that like, um, this is a stat that I'm going to use in my story, but like they've used 20 different pitchers as relievers this year. Um, I have no, I have no frame of reference of, uh, who I'm going to compare that to of prior seasons. I know the 2022 campaign, people talk a lot about of how many different Pirates players were used in general. I think it's something over 50, 55 players or whatever. But, like, you know, they've tried so many different combinations. Some have worked. Some have obviously not. As you mentioned, the opening day roster, the only three relievers remaining from that are David Bednar, Colin Holderman, and Jose Hernandez. Um, yep. But the guys that they've been using, the ones who are here right now um, in August and September – it's been effective and it's a lot of kind of goes back to what you're writing this week for off the bat. It's like, what do I want to learn? I want to learn are these guys who come 2024 when they break camp, how many of these guys are going to be ones that are truly in the fold. Um, there's a good number, I think right now in the active roster that aren't just plug and play guys. Maybe you really have something with an Andre Jackson. Maybe you do with Thomas Hatch. Yeah. Uh, I'm really curious about that. So I'd be curious that number uh, intrigues me. And as you're talking, I looked into it uh, just very, very quickly. It looks like 20 was used last year as well. Okay. They landed on exactly 20. I have to do math while I'm talking to you. That's not going to be pretty. Um, <laughs> now some of those guys, some of those guys were position players. Um, it looks like, who do we have here? Um, yeah, you know, Diego Castillo, selling. Josh Van Meter, they don't count. So I guess 18. Um, I think there's been a Chris Owings in there. I don't know if he counted among your 20. No, I, I excluded Chris Owings from the 21. Yeah. We brought it down to 20. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an increase. That That is interesting. It's an increase over 2022 where, you know, last year, 2021, they're just throwing stuff against, not throwing stuff against the wall, but I mean, you're giving guys a lot of opportunity. Whereas I think it's a little bit more earned this year, a little bit more calculated. Um, you're having, you know, Hunter Stratton. What did he not give up a run in all of August? I believe is the stat. I mean, Dude earned his way here. He pitched really, really well. Um, you know, Carmen Majinski, for instance. Like, I, I think the world of what he's done and how he's transitioned to a relief role, I mean, he wasn't gifted anything. You know, he did not make the team out of camp, was good in spring, put up good numbers, waited for his opportunity, got it, pitched well, got a little bit more, pitched better, got a little bit more, pitched better. And now all of a sudden, like, you look at Carmen, he's absolutely one of your key setup guys. It's him and Holderman getting the ball to David Bednar. I don't think anybody's going to question that. But, yeah, that number is interest, interesting to me, Andrew, and I think you bring up a really good point about the bullpen and just what it what it has meant to this group. I feel like it's not optional with the Pirates to have a good bullpen, right? Like, you're not going to spend on starting pitching, which is fine. I don't I don't think you always need to spend on starting pitching. You should, you should grow it in your system, and I think the Pirates are trying to do that. But you do need to cobble together arms and arm slots and styles of pitching and matchups and – you know, that's where Radley Haddad or, or, you know, Derek Shelton or Oscar Marine or any of these people, you know, that are in charge of like pitching matchups and, and game planning and strategy and that sort of stuff. Like you definitely earn your money in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, and they've done a really good job too. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it's, uh, you know, maybe the overall results of the entire season, it hasn't been perfect, but given what they've dealt with of just guys who were ineffective at the beginning of the year and have had to turn to lots of different arms, like, 
recently the results have been good. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tip the cap when it's due. And yep. I can't say that on June 1st, I was sitting here thinking that Andre Jackson, Thomas Hatch, and Ryan Barucki were going to be among your key relievers, but here yep. we are. So you got to tip them to how they're being used, but um, yes. yeah. Any, anything else we're, uh, we're looking to hit on here? Jason? I don't know. I, I think we're about good, right? Yeah. I don't I have anything else on my list. We already got I mean, into my, some staff and changes and whatnot, right? Yeah, we already we uh, I believe that comprised last week, or we at least kicked that around. I mean, it's kind of a non-story, right? Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to pretty much come back. So and we talked about it a little bit, but yeah, Andy Haynes coming back as hitting coach. Yeah, and that's such a weird dynamic to me. And Shelton did talk about this the other day. These are fresh comments that we haven't gotten through, but uh, you know how it's so easy to blame the hitting coach and and the frustration over Andy Haynes, like can't both be true. Can't like people be frustrated that guys have not made enough individual performance, but the pirates are winning. So like, you know, I just, that that's one of those things that I don't feel like I have a hot take on um, where like, if you look at the pirates objectively and you say you won 62 games last year, right now, I believe they're on pace to win 75. If you go from 62 to 75, how much hell are you going to raise in that clubhouse? Like, are you going to go firing people? You've just improved by 13 wins. You know, and a lot of what they did in the offseason, spending money, free agents, or whatever, again, not to say that they were the Yankees because they were not, but your performance is driven by young guys getting better, figuring it out, and some progress made. So, like, I get that. I also get watching them strike out so many darn times and getting frustrated by it by looking at called third strikes. And looking at kids that, you know, do, have not realized their potential. Like I look at Andy, Henry, uh, neither OPS is over 650. I look at Jack Sawinski and I, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, look at Brian Reynolds and some of the regression that he's experienced up until recently, Key Brian Hayes, where he had been offensively prior to August 1. Getting upset or feeling like the coach isn't doing enough or, or I mean, you're not wrong for feeling that way. Fans should feel upset about that you want to see progress out of players you want to see players get better that's what the fun part is about this thing so I don't know I guess like I understand the fans perspective and they're not wrong I understand the team's perspective and they're not wrong this is just a sort of a weird gray area that all of this stuff has seemingly fallen into yeah you said it both things can be true I mean I I stand at a point probably of you know Andy Haynes for the most part this season has maybe been given too much blame than is deserving but then there's also the when you watch a game where Jack Sawinski takes another called third strike on the black, where you're like, well, a lot of guys are keeping bats on the shoulders. Like, I don't know. It's you worry. I guess where my mind goes to is like, is this the correct uh, staff to have in place for the next step of where this team wants to go? And that's a question that I can't answer. Right. I'm not the guy making the million dollar decisions, but like, that's a different conversation of, is this the group in the clubhouse that they feel confident in can help them get back to the playoffs? Or is this a placeholder group? That's not my decision to make, but it's where my mind goes of like, they've helped them make strides. They've helped them grow a little bit and take steps forward this season. Can they help them get to the next step? That's why I think it's a little bit too quick trigger to say after the 2023 season, we need to make changes. But next season's a huge one. We all know that. But like, I think for this coaching staff, it is incredibly big. Uh, yes. not, not just for the pitching coach, not just for the hitting coach, but for Shelton, for everybody involved. Like this, the next year is the one that this is all about to me. It's kind of a moot point, I feel like, for 23. Well, I mean, if you're not five years into a rebuild coming off a 12 or 13 win improvement 
you know, if you're not, if your goal isn't over 500, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it has to be, it has to be. And that has to frame their off season. That has to frame development. That has to frame how you use Paul Skeens. That has to frame a lot of your decision-making going into 2024, right? Like I understand this year being a transitional year. And that's what it was. Like you saw some good things. You saw some bad things. You saw some development. You saw some steps backward. You saw some questions being asked. Okay, great. But I mean, year five, year five, that, that better be over 500. Um, I, w- I mean, you don't see many seven-year plans deployed. Like it's normally a five-year plan. So, and I understand COVID disrupted some things, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Andrew. Uh, the coaching staff and everything else and and just... Anybody in general, like I've, I've preached patience with fans and letting things play out and they need time and you need prospects to come up and mature. And it's not always linear and all this junk and well, I shouldn't say junk. It's not junk. It's the truth, but um, that's, that's off next year. Win games. You have to win games. You have to, you know, clear 500 in my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, that was, that was a rant. No, it's a good one. It's a nice one to finish on, I think. I don't mean to cut you short or nothing, but I feel no, like it's, it's kind of a good soliloquy to end on. I kind of like that. All right. All right. We'll close it out with that. Thank you for watching. As always, we enjoy doing these. I always enjoy talking ball with Andrew, um, at least in this setting, too. We do it all the time in the press box and, and whatever else, but it's nice to have the cameras on. Um, we are sponsored, as always, by North Shore Tavern. Explain that. Make sure you like, subscribe, do all that stuff, um, and to make these – videos continue to be popular and thank you so much for your your listenership and viewership and all that stuff so for andrew Dessen, i'm jason mackey we'll talk to you next week thank you for checking out this content from post gazette sports if you enjoyed the video please like it and subscribe to our youtube channel check out our apple podcast channel for more podcast content click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the pittsburgh post gazette